This is Sports Content Kings, talking to today's brightest minds in sports and entertainment. Welcome to Sports Content Kings, brought to you by WSC Sports, a podcast dedicated to today's brightest minds in sports, figuring out the latest trends and technologies shaping the industry. I'm Aviv, one of the founders of WSC Sports and Chief Business Development Officer. Happy to be here together with my brother. I'm Shaka, I'm VP Business Development at WSC Sports, and we are the Arnon Brothers. And today we are joined by Mark Walker, Head of Business Development and Innovation from ESPN. This has been a great conversation and we thank Mark for coming and hope you will all enjoy. All right, Aviv, uh, here we have a guest with us, Mark Walker. Thank you very much for joining us. Thank you for having me. This is a real pleasure and great to have the opportunity to finally meet you guys, even if it's remotely. Soon, hopefully, we have the chance to all be together. So that'd be great. Yeah. Hopefully, a few years of working with you guys at ESPN and uh, uh, and we're really uh, excited to, uh, to get to do this chat today and hopefully we get the opportunity have you over here in Israel sometime soon. Yeah, working with your colleagues and satellites around you, and finally we uh, we meet in person. So thanks for joining. Well, you know, I'm in fact the satellite, so <laughs> I think these things have happened in the right order. <laughs> you know, we've enjoyed a, uh, you know, we're in year two of a three-year relationship with WC Sports Technology. You know, value relationship tremendously. You know, the trajectory has been outstanding. You know, so I want to express gratitude to you guys to, you know, for working so closely with us and aligning so well against, you know, our business needs. So, uh, you know, great relationship. Perfect. It wasn't, it wasn't our question, but it's, uh, we'll take it. It's a great, uh, <laughs> great segue to start today. Yeah. Amazing feedback. Yeah. Thanks for the kind words. And, you know, ESPN, the team has been pushing us so, so hard to do better. So it's been a mutual benefit, you know, making us better and helping you. I think it would be great. Mark, if we can ask you to give a little bit of your background, your professional trajectory, and what brought you here to be, you know, the the head of business development at something like ESPN and innovation. So, if you can give us uh, your background, and uh, we'll take it from there. My background is pretty straightforward and somewhat complicated and convoluted at the same time. You know, start life as an engineer, continued into graduate school, got really fascinated with the area of law because it was a constraint on everything I was doing. I didn't know anything about it. Nobody in my family is a lawyer. Applied to law school on a whim. I was admitted and everybody around me told me I had to go. I had no idea law school was an interesting or competitive thing to do. You know, at the time I thought it was some kind of departmental transfer. So like at the urging of literally everyone I knew other than my father who stopped talking to me. I went to law school and, you know, that kind of defined my path after that, which is, you know, really working often at the intersection of law and technology, you know, it's very early to the web and to the internet, you know, it's the guy on the floor, the chairman's floor in a record company who knew how to connect to the internet. And, you know, they gave me this kind of instant status as an expert, right? So that was, <laughs> it was quite remarkable because I didn't know much more than anyone else. I just knew how to get on, right? My career has really been the intersection of technology and entertainment and media. Those are the things I love, and that's really defined my path, whether it's been you know, record companies during the early days when we were making the transition to digital distribution, you know, straight through to Disney, and now at ESPN. 
Uh, you spent a lot of time at Disney at the parks uh, segment of the company. Is that? Yeah, exactly. I mean, the company kind of reformed around me. I mean, not personally, <laughs> but you know, I took a role at Disney Interactive, running Disney Interactive Media. We were then merged into the Consumer Products Group. And then the Consumer Products Group, in turn, was rolled up into the Parks and Resorts Organization. So while I stayed somewhat in the same chair, mm -hmm. the organization changed all around me. And I ended up working at, you know, in the division, which was Parks and Resorts and Consumer Products, before coming to ESPN. All right. So now bringing that consumer background and knowledge to this world of sports media. And we always say at our company that we're lucky to be in an industry that has no consumers. It has fans. And that's very, very different. So bring that knowledge into the sports fan space. How did that contribute to what you've been able to bring to the table to bring that background and put it to work with, uh, with your role currently at sports uh, business development and innovation? Yeah, as you know, our objective is to serve sports fans, you know, anytime, anywhere. You and we share very much the same ethic. You know, that is the high respect for fans, for the fan experience, to give them what they want when they want it. You know, we don't swim upstream in that way. We're really always looking for fans to tell us what they want. And it's incumbent on us to just figure out how to do it. Technology often becomes a great path to do that. I think the WSC relationship points that up in the sense that, you know, fans want things that are relevant and exceedingly, they want them exceedingly quickly. Um, that technology allows us to do that. They have a boundless appetite for stuff in social media, you know, which is very different than linear. A linear highlight, maybe you get one or two highlights on SportsCenter, whereas social media platforms, or an insatiable consumer of, you know, sports content and sports highlights. And that's aligned very well. You know, it's been a really highly unanticipated benefit of what we've done through automation with WSC, which is now the volume of output matches the desired consumption across social platforms. Really, really hard to do because as I said, the appetite is insatiable. Right. Yeah. And as much as you put out, there's always a desire for more in those platforms. There's no end to it. When we started the company over a decade ago, we were going broadcasters. We also, we met a, your counterparts back in the day. And the, the, the business was all around linear and the driver for the revenue was, was basically uh, how much ratings can we get on TV now? The, that digital side was basically another cost-based something you need to do, another website or app that you have to develop, but it wasn't ma the main part of the business. Now that's fundamentally transformed over the years and we've been taking a role. It was a riding that wave, right? And taking a role in that, in that fundamental shift. But for your business at ESPN, it's now, I guess it's a, it's at the forefront of what's coming and like the business and the, the business itself is, is changing. So I, I guess leading business development and innovation. It's two sides of the same coin. So how do you see that challenge and that opportunity forming in front of you? Yeah, well, you said, you know, you said it exactly right. Because oftentimes when I tell people in the head of business development and innovation, you know, they're kind of somewhat confused because they seem to be very different functions. But Aviv, as you said, it's the same function, right? Like good business development is figuring out how to do continuous innovation through working with best-in-class partners. 
and you know helping those partners kind of focus and align against your business objectives. And I think that's a very powerful innovation, right? Because it, you know, as great as we are, you know, we'll never have enough engineers, enough internal entrepreneurs, enough market sensitivity to always figure out what's going on. And we found more and more that that's really best executed, you know, by having key partnerships of folks who are, you know, really aligned against business objectives, aligned against their view of the marketplace and kind of what we're doing, getting very deep with them. You know, as you said, the innovation team pushes you guys and you push us. And I think that's the perfect outcome that exists right at the intersection of business development and innovation. That's how it sh those things should work together. Maybe take us back. 20 years ago, each of us would see the game on TV, or if we didn't catch it on TV, we would wait maybe to Sports Center in the evening, or maybe we missed that. We'll wait for the newspaper the next day to read an article about it. That was the expectation. And the paradox is the better the broadcaster has become with technology, the more unsatiable the appetite has become as well. So in a way, the better the rights holder has gotten, the gap from the fan may be where the chase was still on. You got better, the fans want more. You got better, the fans want more. And that trend keeps on going. Even now when we have that, that scale was unmatched uh, before and, it, and it's something new, still maybe there's maybe there's still a gap until you get to the event horizon, which would be really one video for one fan, really hyper personalized, you know, uh, as we call VOC video on command, the fan will have complete command and control on everything that they're seeing. And that is still not here. So now my question to you is, do you really see us going all the way to that one-to-one -one interaction? really hyper-personalized or does that in some way maybe you don't think it's it's the way it's going to happen maybe you think it it puts in some jeopardy the legacy the where everyone is watching tv and seeing the the espn broadcast which is where you want people to go so maybe it was uh too many directions to ask a uh, single sure. questions but uh try to take a crack at it if you can Look, it's a brilliant question, right? And it's one that I think we're slowly finding the answers to, right? I mean, if one of the answers is it was anticipated that the more there's consumption on social and digital platforms, that would erode consumption on other platforms, right? But we're finding, you know, we're reaching, we have record reach with the social and digital platforms. And at the same time, you know, we're achieving record ratings in linear. And I think one of the things that is being revealed is a consumption really across broad spectrum of activity. You know, there's a thing that's very personal to you that you care most about, but then they're, they're the water cooler moments. But then again, mm -hmm. sports exists in culture, right? Yeah. So the things that aren't really necessarily relevant to your sports preferences, you know, that you care about because they have impact in culture, right? And I think that entire, that's the spectrum of consumption and I don't think personalization, for example, extreme personalization supplants any of that. I think it actually enhances it and drives the engagement deeper. We found more and more that live sports are tending to eat everybody else's lunch in entertainment right now, right? And I think it's because of that impact. You know, it's very personal, tied to very personal passions, a very personal focus. But at the same time, you want to talk to other people about it. 
It exists kind of in a water cooler space, but it also exists in culture broadly. You know, my wife cares about what LeBron wears, even though she doesn't watch basketball, right? Yeah. And, and I think that it's that, you know, it's really working against that entire spectrum that makes sports so special. And look, I think we're rapidly reaching a place where, you know, not only will you have your kind of personal Clipper highlight, you have your personal sports broadcast summary, you know, delivered by an avatar written by AI. I mean, it'd be your thing. And then you, you think about the power of that. So for example, uh, you know, we have a very popular fantasy product, right? But imagine that, you know, every Monday morning, you kind of get your own mini sports center um, cast that is uh, a reflection of the picks that you made in fantasy, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, that's real, really, really cool. Very excited about that potential. I don't think it supplants anything. I think it enhances the entire experience of sports consumption. I think that was part of my pitch right there. <laughs> in, in some cases, I think we're seeing, uh, following up on what, on what you said, we're seeing continuous changes in the trends and the, the patterns of how, on some, how, how fans follow the sports becomes more, uh, you mentioned social, but also the format and the engagement keeps changing. It becomes a vertical feed. You go on a, just follow your fantasy players. You follow based on your betting choices. Maybe if you play certain bets, what you, what your uh, interest is, your chat current, current watch party or chat with your friends is or maybe what kind of NFTs you bought. So like it's, it's all blending together and it's all media, sports, media, and entertainment. And all of it is, I'd say opportunities, but some things that ESPN definitely with your popular fantasy game, but everything else around it, all the content, you're the destination for, for all those fans to, to follow and to find a lot of, the, of, of this content. So how do you look at all these uh, different verticals, I would say that like, I'd say they're all, different businesses, there's companies, startups, technologies uh, that are different and evolving at a rapid pace in all these uh, verticals that I just threw out there, but then there's a few more. What's your focus today? How do you see yourself uh, playing in all these fields? Well, as you said, it all connects to fandom, right? And, and the nature of fandom has evolved. We go back 30 years, and if you told me you were from Boston, Massachusetts, I could tell you everything sort of about your preference space around sports, you know, the team you rooted for, Boston. the athletes you were interested in. Especially in Boston. Yeah, yeah. especially in Boston, <laughs> right? I don't mean to pick on them, but especially in Boston. <laughs> and that's no longer true. You know, I have a son who grew up in Los Angeles and went to high school in New York, but he's a massive Milwaukee Bucks fan. You know, I mean, that's something, never been to Milwaukee. You know, that's something that's never happened before. But, you know, Giannis is his idol. Right. So that's how that fandom developed. And as you said, I mean, there's a lot of elements that provoke fandom now, right? Across digital collectible space, across fashion. You know, I mean, this it's just really remarkable the number of ways that folks have to connect into sports and the number of ways that they have to, you know, develop and evolve a fandom. Right before it was where you were born. You know, I was born in the Washington D.C. area. I was a Senators fan when I was very young. My heart was broken when they moved to Texas, and you know, I abandoned baseball at that time. But the, uh, <laughs> you know, that's Painful. that's how long that fundamental emotional connection hasn't changed. But the method by which folks get there has changed remarkably, expanded remarkably, expanded. 
Yeah. I think one of the things that you put your finger on there is the fact that it moved or it got deeper from teams being the main following focus to players. You tell narratives around players now, and players have their own outlets as well. You're talking about a fashion line? Now a player can have a fashion line, right? Has a, a, a media outlet, has a media following, and being an influencer themselves, not just the club. I remember the clubs that I was following, again, 20, 25 years ago, I had the players that I liked, but I knew nothing about them. I didn't see anything off court. I didn't, I didn't know what's going on. And now you can follow them all the time and engagement drives engagement, right? When you engage them outside of the court, you, get, you come also to the court. How do you see ESPN's role in innovation? Do you want to be more of the trailblazer and the trendsetter? Or do you want to put your, uh, you know, ear on the ground, see where... See, you know, what works and see what quickly. works, what the fans want, and then you go, you implement it better, and then lead after you, the trend is happening. How do you see your role? I think that, uh, you know, company ESPN's position could, you know, could really be satisfied with fast following, right? It's really hard to be relevant in sports media without doing something with ESPN, right? So we could clearly adopt a strategy of fast following. The problem is... You know, if you talk to someone, with, you know, my colleagues in marketing and brand, they'll tell you that's not what our fans expect, right? They expect us to lead. They expect us to be on the cutting edge. They expect us to define the next thing, the next generation of sports media. And so, you know, we have to observe that obligation. Look, strategically and economically, it'd be better to kind of get in the back seat, see what works, and, you know, then adopt it. But we don't have that luxury with our audience. And, and I think it also, you know, it really ties to the history of ESPN. You know, ESPN, from the inception, is a scrappy 24-hour network that everybody said would never work for sports, you know, based in Bristol, Connecticut. You know, before we had major sports league rights, all we had was innovation, right? We turned the America's Cup into exciting, fan-engaging events, sailing right? World Series of Poker went from being, you know, literally watching the paint dry to being this incredibly popular and compelling tournament. And I just think it's been, that has been the pattern of ESPN, you know, for more than 40 years now. You know, someone said something very interesting about us. They said, you know, you guys are Coke, but you act like Pepsi, you know? And I feel like I find that to be a compliment. Right. We're the market leader, you know, by a significant measure, but we don't act that way ever. And that's not the culture internal whatsoever. Sense of urgency stays the hustle. A absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. That's actually a very interesting characteristic and view to have. I mean, the market leader always uh, has a lot more to lose. But then again, I, I get your marketing guys that like don't want to be the followers. You want to you want to set the trend and uh, it worked for you a few times in the past, as you mentioned, like you created this great, now very popular properties that were evolved on your platform. And now fans come for that. Now I'd say fantasy and, and other things, you were a big part of, of pushing that. Now, my question, if, if you're, if you're okay to share, I wanted to ask you about sports betting with betting being legalized now in the States, uh, state by state. And, uh, we saw this happening. We were assuming that media and betting we'll see a convergence in some, in some shape or form because the U.S. fans will not settle for just like a 
an Excel sheet-like experience where they just see uh, some numbers and uh, and place their bets and uh, then later see if they want. It's going to be a much more interactive, video-related, engaging experience, similar to what they're used to on social media. And like it's basically the betting business reinventing itself. That That's what we, we saw happen when we... we we saw that it trending that way, but it it hasn't yet happened. It has like I don't see the we're not at the tipping point yet, and it hasn't evolved to like to converge as much as we thought will happen by now. What do you see your role in that space? I think there are a number of dimensions, right? And look, ultimately, the way we engage with sports betting is really defined by the expectation of fans, right? And you know we find over and over again that sports betting is an essential and compelling part of sports media consumption and is a place that, you know, our fans not only want, but expect us to be in. And, you know, with that, to your point, I think there's a responsibility. I mean, I, there is a natural convergence, but, you know, I would say that, you know, there's sort of the implementing tools, which are, you know, oftentimes the betting platforms themselves. And, you know, you kind of look at the need on betting platforms, you know, which is accuracy, efficiency, speed and ease of use. And this thing is somewhat perhaps inconsistent with some of the audience facing media pieces, right? So so while I thought the convergence would kind of be on a platform basis where you kind of go to one place and get everything, I actually think it's really the interaction relationship between two kind of purpose-built platforms, right? So, you know, if you think about, you know, shopping and Shopify, right? There's the contextualization, there's the relationship with the consumer or the audience, and then there's this really robust, you know, backend that empowers all these things. And I think sports bet, now I'm be- beginning to believe more and more the sports betting is headed in the same direction. You know, there, there are activities that I would conduct on ESPN or ESPN platforms that I'm just never going to do on my favorite sports betting app, right? Like, I'm never going to build a NCAA tournament bracket on a sports betting app, but I'll do it every time and multiple times on ESPN. But I think the interesting thing becomes now I've built my bracket. I'm in this free to play contest with my friends, but I really like parts of my bracket. And so, you know, how can I make it easier then to convert that bracket into a series of bets or parlays that are really interesting? That leads to my second point, which is one of the challenges of sports betting is it's existed sort of in dark alleys for a very long time, you know, particularly in the United States. And the lexicon, the methods, you know, all those things are actually designed for people not to understand them broadly and to keep people out. And so one of the th- opportunities I think ESPN has and the sports media industry has generally is, you know, how to make the things that have been historically associated with sports betting, you know, how to bring those things into the bright light and how to make them palatable and compelling to broad number of consumers. I think the state lotteries are probably the best example. You know, a lottery 50 years ago was the numbers game, you know, which was sold out of the back of bodegas, right, you know, in secrecy. And then somehow now we've progressed to the point where soccer mom will pull up in any gas station and buy a lottery ticket. And that transition is an important one. And I think one that's available to sports betting, how to make it accessible, 
how to make it palatable, how to turn it from sort of this dark wagering industry into something, frankly, that's light and fun and really enhances your, yeah, trusted, it enhances your experience. I think it's a gift to sports fans that, you know, I love football, soccer, and in a two-hour match, that's an absolute blowout, right? I'm actually still engaged in, you know, the second period stoppage time because I'm wondering whether they're going to, you know, beat the spread or whether, you know, the guy that I met for a goal. Exactly. You know, there'll be a tackle by player X. Yeah, exactly. And I think that's a gift to fans, you know, because anytime I don't turn off my TV at halftime, you know, that's a really, really good thing, not for sports media companies, but for me as a sports consumer. I want to watch two hours of football, right? I don't want to watch like, you know, 45 minutes. It's an absolute blowout. My team's never going to recover with Chelsea fans. I've been experiencing a lot of it. You know, my team's never going to recover, right? And turn off the TV and walk away. Like, that's not a good outcome for anybody. And I think sports betting could help with that. All right. So you were talking about soccer. So it's a good segue to ask you about the international plans and aspirations of ESPN. I believe it's true when I say you have more ESPN brands and entities globally in the last few years. And also with the appearance of ESPN Plus, T platform, and you now have a much more global look and strategy. How do you see, how much of an importance does it have in the overall ESPN strategy? And what is exciting to you about the potential, I I wouldn't call it a blue ocean for you, but there's a lot of potential to tap into that ESPN is now, I think, putting more focus on? Yeah, well, certainly, one, it's a relatively recent change that the international companies now consolidated under Jimmy Pataro and the ESPN leadership. You know, that's a new thing, but I think it's something that makes tremendous sense, and particularly my role in innovation. You know, we have so many things, so many relationships going on globally, you know, they're working in different places. Like I think India's, you know, tremendous standout. There are specific market challenges, things that actually are helpful to us, right? We don't have, they're not quite as present in this market as they are in India. So, you know, they're dealing with not one or two, but literally a hundred languages, you know, and trying to deliver sport to all of these consumers. And that kind of cuts in the same way, ultimately the personalization will, you know, more broadly. So I think there's so many interesting experience and findings there and bringing those a little bit close to center, I think we're only going to help everybody. You know, I mean, I think we're all in the process of discovering the best partners, discovering the, uh, the best technologies. In the best, you know, on-air implementation, the best broadcast, most efficient broadcast technologies, and all of that being a little closer to home, I think is going to have positive impact for the company. And you know, and then I think, look, also the ability to look—I mean, sports are just inherently global now, right? And the ability to kind of look for and consider global plans around around sports and sports licensing is is a tremendous advantage. Right. Awesome. I'd like, as we are close to our close, I'd like to try to pick your brain on what is exciting for you in the next two, three years that's coming. What do you see big changes that will happen, you know, without disclosing anything that you can't share, but in terms of innovation, what do you see 
the trends that you uh, think our our listeners should be on the lookout for? We're very fortunate, you know, because we're cheek and jowled with probably the best film studio on the planet that's implemented just brilliant technologies in terms of, you know, both production tools and, uh, you know, CGI and all this. I mean, you look at the Avatar movie and you kind of go, well, what if some of those technologies kind of crept over into the sports world, right? That'd be really interesting. So, you know, when we think about virtual sets, when we think about environments, when we think about the ability to produce live sports, you know, not in vans on site and not in control rooms in Bristol, but, you know, literally from a laptop anywhere on the planet, that's a very powerful thing. Look, when it's very fashionable now to talk about AI, but, you know, we've looked at it for a long time. I think the ability to have talent who can voice a read in 50 different markets in ways that are very specific to that market using your own voice is really interesting. I think having virtual or avatar talent is really, really cool and very interesting. And, you know, the ability to auto-generate content, you know, literally from a feed of stats is something that, that's also very interesting. And so kind of converge all these things and you go, wow, this is a very exciting sports media space that we're going to be living in. You know, one that gives me exactly what I want and the voices I love as a fan. But also, as I said before, you know, we got to continue to operate at the edge of people's preference space, right? Like you can't be driven solely by what people think they want. You know, we still have this editorial responsibility to show them the things that they, you know, that they need to know, the things they should know about. Personalization is also kind of a weird thing. You know, it's a mirror and sometimes a pleasant one. Uh, when I was running Yahoo News many years ago, I called up our tech team because I was like, you know, this personalization engine, there's something wrong with it because all the headlines I'm getting about Britney Spears. And they said, no, that's, there's nothing wrong with it. You know, and I kind of fancied myself this very erudite news consumer. But the <laughs> fact was, you know, I was just consuming too much kind of pop culture content and it ended up dominating my feed. So the point is, Sometimes holding up the personalization mirrored people, it's exactly yeah. the right thing. And look, I think that's where the kind of high-touch editorial comes in. There'll always be that balance. I think there's a trap that you can fall into. You innovate in order to innovate, right? Innovate to give a better fan experience. That's a, that's a huge, huge difference. And I think you you really put the, the right point there. All right. Aviv, anything else you want to... No, I think that was great. And uh, Mark... Thank you for sharing some of those insights. I personally have a few follow-up conversations I want to have with you about some things that we're thinking of, things that fall right in line with uh, with maybe some of your aspirations and things we're looking into these days. So like really great to hear you say those things and uh, really interesting, I'm sure, for all our listeners. Absolutely. As I said, you know, the thing I love is we're all paddling in the same direction and I'm very excited about the future we can all build together. Wow, that was interesting. Yeah, it's so great to hear uh, such a, a leader in this space. You know, Mark has been senior executive and the biggest sports entity there is. So hearing his thoughts and hearing their plans and his excitement uh, brings excitement, I think, to myself and perhaps hopefully to many fans that are listening to, to this. So it's, so it's amazing. He has been definitely a leader in the space and uh, most of the sports media rights of the biggest brands, the biggest content outlets is owned by ESPN. So what they do is going to definitely shape the industry. 
really looking forward to see what comes next. I think so many of the habits that we have as fans came from these guys, came from what ESPN has created, something out of no nothing in many ways. You know, it's this has been a decades-long process, so we're all uh, we're not noticing it right now, but they've been shaping the way we uh, we consume and engage with sports. So. Yeah, and SportsCenter is synonymous with, with sports news today, but like what we have in Israel, Hachot the Sport, and sports news is with the birth of that. So Carbon yeah, copy. Yeah. <laughs> yes, that's how we follow sport. Yeah. Anyway, we'll be on the lookout to see what they're going to do. And it's so exciting to have them as partners and have our ideas be tested by them and being led by them to, to understand the new trends and implementing it with them. So incredibly lucky to be able to do it. Okay. So thanks again, Shaka. All right. And, uh, Thank you, Aviv. Till next time. Thanks to all of you for listening. If you enjoyed the show, please rate us and leave a review or share the show with a friend. And if you haven't subscribed yet, please do now so that you never miss a new episode. We're your hosts. I'm Shaka. And I'm Aviv. We're the Arnon Brothers. And this has been Sports Content Kings by WSC Sports. Thank you all for joining us and looking forward to seeing you here in the future.